Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 131, episode 5 of Your Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness and say, officially off the top, fuck the Koch brothers and fuck Fox News. It's Friday, May 1st, 2020. My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. Jacko is in quar, he's feeling like a loner, but he knows that this might last. Jacko stayed at home, he doesn't want corona, mm. he thinks Dan Patrick is an ass. Oh. Get back, get back, get back inside your goddamn homes. <laughs> get back, get back inside is where we all belong. Get back, Jacko. Wow. Uh, That is courtesy of Lorcan RR, and I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray. Miles Gray, a.k.a. the inventor of the Grayo Clinic, a.k.a. John's Potkins, a.k.a. Weeders Sinai, a.k.a. First Presbyterian, a.k.a. Doobie Hauser ED, a.k.a. Gray's Anatomy, a.k.a. No Scrubs, a.k.a. The Hood Doctor, a.k.a. Hard House, a.k.a. General Hospital, a.k.a. Nurse Jack O. That would be you. But thank you to Walter Chestnut Jr. for those strings of medically induced a.k.a.s. Hell yeah. Walter Chestnut. It's been a while. Good to see you again, my friend. <laughs> and we are thrilled to be joined all the way from the East Coast by the hilarious and talented and brilliant Bridget Todd. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, what an intro. Oh, thank it's you nice, for it's great to be with you. Here. I mean, <laughs> to think just the last time we were together, we were Jack and I, Anna, we were flying willy nilly around the country. While probably COVID nineteen was spreading, uh, but what? And now, look at us now. Here we are. I know. We did you? I had no idea that would be one of the last times I was doing a podcast thing IRL. I wasn't remote in my kitchen. You know. Yeah, man. Oh, what a time. So, Bridget, how's DC? What's the what are the vibrations in the capital? Um, I really wouldn't know because I haven't left my house in a very long time. Yeah. Um, I think the vibe here, like we're lucky that we have a mayor who seems to be sort of on it. You know, we get very clear information from our mayor every day about the numbers and the cases and all of that. So I'm lucky for that because some people don't have that kind of leadership. Certainly we don't have that kind of leadership federally. So it's nice to have, to feel like someone, like a grown-up is in charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Word. Do Um, you have weird, do you have weird, like, are there weird products that are having shortages you know, like oh, in LA, yes. you can't get garlic. I don't know. Who, oh, really? I don't know who the garlic yeah, plug random. is in Los Angeles, but if you are the garlic connect, well, holler at me because I'm I'm in for at least two pounds, literally, <laughs> of garlic. I'll yeah. buy off you. Ours is definitely flour. Like everybody has decided the, pe- the how they're getting through the pandemic is baking, and so oh, it's wow. like you people can't find flour. And I actually have a friend who is a professional baker, and she's like, yeah, I can't, I can't like make my my goods because everybody has decided, oh, I'm a professional baker now. I need flour. So definitely right. flour, yeast. Everyone's doing that like sourdough starter. Like yeah. it's interesting. We are all coping in these very weird ways. Like, oh, there's a pandemic. I better get really into gardening. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not at that level of of pandemic yet where I've gone into the baking phase. I don't know if I will, uh, but it's always interesting to see people. I've been surprised at the kinds of people I've seen suddenly be like, I'm making my own yeast. And I'm like, you're actually making <laughs> right. like pruno, but I guess that's yeast. Yeah, dude, yeah, do that. <laughs> yeah, that, those people are way more ambitious than I am. I, I will just say. Baking. Have you picked, yeah, is the one new skill you've picked up like based at like teaching uh, preschoolers over Zoom or like monitoring like Zoom yeah. educations essentially? That's your new skill? Yeah, and that very poorly. Uh, <laughs> what has it been like as a parent? Like, what is this time like as someone with? Because I don't have kids. What is it like with, as someone who has kids? You know, I've got a, a today. My three year old is a four year old. He's a man now. Oh, oh my god! Happy birthday! He will be. Uh, he will be going out and getting a job now. And a tattoo. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, but it's it's all right. It's it's a fun age, like uh, four and two. It's an okay age for this because, like, sometimes they'll ask, 
really sad questions like how come I never get to see my friends or why can't I see my friends for my birthday? But then they kind of forget about that after a couple minutes. Uh, <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's tricky, but it's yeah. it's good. It's a lot of it's a lot of fun to spend a lot of time with them right now. Or you hit them with like the overly complex answer. It's like, well, because there's an elected official at the top who refuses to accept, <laughs> you know, well, I guess the generally accepted reality and science around the topic, therefore uh, completely botched the situation and has led to, I mean, just really poor outcomes for everyone. So, yeah, yeah that's why. That's <laughs> They have an endless amount of patience to just keep asking me what things are and why things are the way they are. So I don't know. Have like, you been stumped? What's the latest thing you've been stumped uh, trying to explain to a, a three yeah, to four-year-old? I can't, I can't think of it, but I've definitely been stumped on the regular of, of <laughs> just how to, how to convey very complicated uh, th- questions. Uh, right, one right, one right. that I got within the past week is why do things die? Um, which is wild. And yeah, why? <laughs> yeah, wait, hold on. Yeah, why do they? Actually, I never thought about that. <laughs> no, I was saying that was a question from you uh, to me <laughs> after we were recording. <laughs> yeah, I was like, hey, Jack, yeah. can I ask you something, dude? Why do things die? <laughs> why do things die, man? <laughs> Help me uh, out here, real quick. Yeah. Uh, all right, Bridget, we're going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, we're going to tell our listeners a couple of the things we're talking about. We're going to look at this uh, article from former CEO of uh, Permanente, which is like one of the biggest hospital uh, chains in the Kaiser. country. Uh, he's a doctor, and he just had some good perspective on like sort of where we're at and what it actually means to kind of open open the country back up, like what that decision is actually about. Uh, we got yet another, just keeping the ball in the air with regards to our interest in uh, Mike Pence's decision not to wear the mask at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, so we'll talk about that. That came at the end of last week. Um, Trump is mad. Uh, he's He's furious. He can't believe that there's polling numbers i think there was a quote from him that i'm not gonna lose to fucking joe biden uh <laughs> oh. like he just he has this hey. entitlement because he's like killing biden at uh at fundraising and so he just thinks you know this this should be easy uh i actually uh, woke up this morning to an email from one donald j trump uh, because I I get that Breitbart uh, mailing. I'm on that Breitbart mailing list to just kind of, <laughs> you know, because I'm on that on. that Breitbart uh, board of trustees. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know me. Uh, but yeah, it was it was interesting to see the tone he's taking right now. Uh, and then we're gonna try and pick a movie f- uh, to rewatch over the weekend for our Monday rewatch. Uh, we are going to look at America's horniness as it relates to the rest of the world. Uh, all of that. There's all these uh, COVID documentaries that are heading our way. Uh, all of that, plenty more. But first, Bridget, we like to ask our guests, what is something from your search history that is revealing about who you are? Uh, what a good question. Something from my search history that is revealing about who I am. The last thing I did a Google deep dive on was Janet Hubert, a.k.a. the original mom on Fresh, Pr- Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you saw recently, they had a little yes. mini reunion of the Fresh Prince cast. <laughs> yes. um, and my whole thing is, you know, if, if y'all don't know, Janet Hubert was originally the first, and I would say the best, the most iconic mom on the show. And then yeah. she was replaced by another actress. And she clearly never got over this. This has been a beef that she has held for 30 years. She has commented on it for 30 years. Anytime that the Fresh Prince cast has anything, she responds and is still salty to this day. That woman is a pillar of salt. And honestly, Mm. I respect it. So I saw that the Fresh Prince cast had reunited. And I thought, oh, I have to see if Janet had something to say or had something to say, had some response. Uh, Yeah, I just really respect a long held beef. Like, it's been 30 years. Still mad. Yeah. Yeah. What happened? Wait, so did she have anything to say or no? She, I didn't find that she had anything to say, but the last time the cast reunited, like two years ago, she was like, of course these assholes are reuniting without me. Like, same old shit. Like, what still happened? angry. 
What happened? So basically, her version of events is that- Was it colorism? Honestly, like, between because, you and me, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, because I get it. I, Aunt Viv uh, became a few shades lighter. when She definitely uh, did. When, what's her name? Um, Daphne Maxwell-Reed took over. Oh, good memory. I have um, it pulled up right now because I was like, I want to make sure I have everyone's <laughs> names right. I just don't want to say new Aunt Viv. New Aunt Viv. I know. I, I shouldn't have said that. She she just, she deserves to have her full name. Yes, instead. yes. Um, All three yeah. names. All three names. It sounds like what happened was that when the show initially started, it wasn't supposed to be just about Fresh Prince, like just about his character. You know, all the other side characters had plot lines. Like you saw, like Aunt Viv was a African-American studies professor. She had her own like plot lines, like the episode where she wants to be a dancer. Yeah. And, and people, she just, oh, the African dance episode. Right. Yes, like, like she had yes, good, yes. she had good plot lines. And so it sounds like as the show progressed, audiences just really wanted more Will Smith. And she was like, wait, no, I didn't sign on to be on the Will Smith show. I signed on to be on, oh, like, on a show. Mm. And so they wrote her off, you know. More Bel Air, less Fresh Prince is what yes. she had been sold. <laughs> yes. And, you know, to this day, she is still so salty about it. Like, it clearly made a huge impression on her. Um, I don't blame her. I, I just kind of respect that she's been angry for this long. Like, if this yeah. beef, if this beef was... If this beef was a person, it would be in its 30s. Like it's been, she's been nurturing it for so long. Yeah. I mean, she was in the original Broadway production of Cats. So oh, I'll have wait. you know, I will not what? be. I don't, I've never seen it, so I don't know how to pronounce the name, but it says Hubert was the original Tantamil hmm. in the first Tantamil. Broadway, yeah. Tantamil of the first Broadway run of Cats. So yeah, maybe I, she had that cat's head on where she was like, <laughs> She was like, uh, um, no, I don't know who this young man is who just randomly met Quincy Jones. Uh, I will. This show will be about me. Well, I respect the beef, though. I respect Aunt, it. I respect Aunt Viv it. was my age at the start of uh, Fresh Prince, according to uh, Wikipedia. So that makes me feel old as fuck. What do you um, mean? Like, I, oh, at the time where she took the role? Yeah. I, no, I Googled Aunt Vivian and, you know, they break out the... Actress uh, Janet Hubert for one through three, Daphne Maxwell Reed four through six, and then age of the character thirty nine through forty five. So that was yeah, that was forty. This is forty. Yeah, it's funny. They seem so like old on the show. Like when I was watching as a kid, I was like, oh, they're so grown up. Now I'm like, oh yeah, that's basically my age. (laughs) Doesn't that fuck you up though? Because you get you sort of you live with these perceptions of what an age is and what it looks like and what the behavior is. And then you grow up and then you're like, don't subscribe to those weird beliefs. And you're like, am I in my mid thirties? I feel like I'm 14, I think. Yeah. In some parts of my mind. Like it's weird how, yeah, like because in my mind I'm like, nah man, when you're like when you're like 38, like you look like an old person because that's yes. what TV looked like as from my perspective as a child. It's fucked. I definitely identify my age more as uh, Hillary's age than Aunt Viv's age. For right, certain. right. Like Hillary seemed very old and mature and cool to me when I was a kid first watching yeah. that show. At the oldest, oh. I'm Hillary at this point. I, th- I yes. can't see myself Absolutely. being older than anyone, but oh I'm God. probably guys- Uncle Phil. My brother used to have such a massive crush on the actress that played Hillary. He would like, he's going to be so embarrassed that I'm saying this. I hope he never hears it. He would like <laughs> write her letters. Like he oh. was obsessed with her. Who wasn't? Catherine Parsons was, <laughs> oh, I loved her too. When she was in uh, Major Pain, I was yes! like, here we go. She's crossing over into the mainstream. Everyone will know. The queen. Wasn't she? <laughs> what else was she in? Was she in Ladies Man? She was in, she's been in a few things since then, uh, but. I, I don't I don't know I don't know what she, what exactly she made of her career like whether or not she was trying I don't know what happened Karen mm. Parsons I said Catherine Parsons <laughs> oh excuse me oh yeah put some respect on her yeah name, I absolutely botched that I apologize Bridget's I w- brother is so pissed off right now I know yeah. he's gonna find you <laughs> I know uh, what is something you think is underrated Bridget something I think is underrated um, and this is coming from someone who is not a sports person at all uh, Dennis Rodman in the nineties. You know, uh, people have been talking about Dennis Rodman lately. I I unfortunately have nothing to add from a sports perspective, but I watched this clip, and it's also related to my overrated thing as well. Um, I watched this clip of Oprah interviewing him, and he's talking about his gender and his sexuality. And it's funny because when I was young, I feel like everybody treated him like a joke, like he was some big freak. And what he was saying was about gender and about sexuality was actually like very progressive. He was talking about how 
he thinks in some in some capacities he could be like gay or bi in, like mentally, but he grew up around women, and so he was always sort of discomfort, like not comfortable around men. You know, really being honest about gender and playing with gender in all these interesting ways. And I feel like, at least in my community back then, he was like a like a freak to, to laugh at. When actually he was like really progressive, and if he had said that shit today, we would be applauding him. But back then, we treated it like a big joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, totally. By 90s standards, he was like, a f- you know, something to gawk at. But I, I totally agree. He was like, he would have been like, it, it really is interesting to think about what his career would be like if he were in the league today. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. It also, it's interesting how he would also play with that because he would do one thing. It would start off small where people would point something out and then he would antagonize. He would be like, all right, watch me turn this up even more. To the point, it's like, watch me wear this wedding dress. Right. And then yeah. now you have something to talk Because before, you were uncomfortable because I had too many earrings and my fingernails were painted. Right. Now, try this one on. Definitely. I loved that. And I think we... I feel like he really held, did a good job of holding a mirror up to our misconceptions and our anxieties and our discomfort around a lot of things when it comes to gender and sex. And the fact that Michael Jordan had to go drag him out of bed on the Vegas Strip during the season, like personally with his own Michael Jordan hands is pretty, (laughs) is a great detail. What is something you think is overrated? This is a little controversial. It's a fuego take. Uh I'm going to own it. It's, It's tough for me to say this, but... Oprah Winfrey, I have to say. I mean, I've been an Oprah I've been an Oprah stan my whole life. Color Purple is one of my favorite movies. Like her performance in it was life-changing for me. But like A, I watched the interview where Dennis Rodman is being interviewed by Oprah and she constantly is like, "Are you gay? Are you gay? Are you bi? Are you bi?" And he's like expressing this very progressive, layered expression of gender and sexuality and she can only and again it's the 90s so you know whatever but sure. she can only understand it through so are you gay or what like that's the only way she can understand it and yeah, yeah. today you know in the time of coronavirus if we're gonna be really real the reason why we have a lot of these like huckster fake doctors like your dr oz's and your dr phil's is oprah, oprah. and so oprah i love you but like that's, do something, Oprah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not cool. Like It's almost Dr. like, yeah, you'd like Oprah to do something about it. Like, or at least Owen be like, hey, like, t- talk to them. Pull them aside, right. Oprah. Do something. Be like, hey, I gave you this fucking, don't do this with the fucking platform. Exactly. So I don't want to, you know, blame a woman for the behavior of a man, but she did give these people a platform. And I just, <laughs> I part of me is like, Oprah, honey, like, Dr. Phil is saying wild shit on TV about coronavirus. Like, yeah. come on. <laughs> Yeah, and even yeah. Dr. Oz is like, yeah, old people can die. What's the problem? I ain't no problem. I ain't no problem. I ain't When she first gave the world doctors, Phil and Oz, did, were, were they um, as bad? As, like, I feel like they might have taken things up a step or two since then. But I, I do think the Rodman thing is really interesting to think about because I, I do feel like she's always been really good at like mining the zeitgeist like knowing what like she's she's almost a a mirror for like what we are warts and all like she's good at like being in touch with what everybody's you know general thoughts and ideas and morality is at a given time and you'll you'll see like outdated shit if you look back at you know what what she was saying and doing in the 80s and 90s yeah, I think that's true. I, I completely agree that she really has a way of putting her finger on something in the culture and sort of poking at it and perhaps just like revealing dark stuff about all of us that we maybe don't want to put a mirror up to. And like, you know, I think in the 90s, people were obsessed with like, are, is, so, is so-and-so gay? Is so-and-so gay? Like that, that yeah. is how we, that's like how we understood, how a lot of people understood sexuality and like there was like I, I mean I remember growing up where like the worst thing you could be was gay and that like if someone was gay or even the insinuation they had to like go on TV and you know have a press conference about it so really I mean she wasn't alone right. in in that in that attitude of course. Well yeah I mean her because there was still a lot of spectacle in her show too like aside from like early on there were a lot of things that were just like yeah make a mess Oprah 
Let's see this shit. <laughs> and then other times, then I think as she got, it's interesting because yeah, you see her evolve as a host too and producer of her content. But I was just reading the first time she met Doctor Phil was when she was being sued by uh, cattlemen in the beef industry in Texas, and she had hired Doctor Phil to counsel her through this difficult period. And that's when she learned her head-on approach to life counseling through Doctor Phil. So, yes. Yeah, that's uh, we have we have this lawsuit uh, with the beef industry to thank for the emergence of Doctor Phil. Were they mad at her for saying beef was like not good for you? Basically, they were claiming yeah she was defaming the industry uh, with uh, some segment that she had done. So Jesus, yeah, can't win in this. Y'all, country. you should go back and watch some of her old shows and segments. Like you said, like some of them are fucking wild. Remember when she lost all that weight and she pulled a wagon full of fat out on the show yes. to demonstrate how much weight she lost? It was like literally a wagon stacked with like fat to demonstrate how much fat she had lost. Yeah, it was. I remember. I think who someone I think made lampooned it. Like it was like in living color or somebody did something of a similar. Yeah, look at. Oh, here, hold on. Let me hit y'all with the wild screen share. Uh, real quick, this is the beauty of Zoom now since we can't all be there. Uh, that's the wagon. <laughs> oh, it looks like socks. What do? Oh, my God. Bill Clinton's cat? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's just all kinds of... I I I must actually. Is there a, there's an archive, right, where you can get oh my uh, gosh. all old Oprahs? Because I, I think I need to do that. It is wild. Like like that is a that is a rabbit hole I will gladly go down. <laughs> but I mean, I think she had people on who were helping perpetuate the myth of the satanic panic in the 80s and I know that uh the rainbow party sexual uh moral panic is specifically associated with her. So I mean, she's got she's got those shows in her past that are like the dumbest that America has to offer. Um, yeah. I just, I think in the end, you like, we look at Oprah as like a fucking near God. So she should yeah. be able to, from Mount Olympus, just take back Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz's fame that she so, right. you know, generously gave. She should be able to take it away. And I would like to see her exercise that power uh, as our protector and maker of lists of things we should buy on Amazon Prime. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and finally, Bridget, what is a myth? What's something people think is true you know to be false? Oh, this is another Fuego take. I've been defending this take on Twitter all yesterday. I think it is a myth that wealthy white tech dudes who are like known for like one specific thing or like got big on one specific success, it is a myth that those guys are uniquely smart or uniquely geniuses or are the kind of people that we should be going to for guiding advice or guiding, you know, takes on other issues. And I'll say it, I'm talking about Elon Musk. Elon Musk, yes. like What? I'm going to say it. I'm going to go there. Elon Musk maybe isn't that smart of a guy. Like, he's tweeting wild shit about coronavirus, dangerous, unhelpful shit about coronavirus. And it's one of those things where certainly he's very successful. He has a lot of business acumen. I'm not going to say he doesn't have that. That's not true. But I think this idea that we should be listening to him for thoughtful takes about a public health pandemic is is out of this is like wild. Yeah. You know, and I think that like I think that someone who is demonstrated that they can't be trusted with their own platform perhaps is not someone who is like uniquely a genius. Also, somebody who invites like chaos agent Azalea Banks into their home and life. Maybe <laughs> that's not smart. Right. Like maybe maybe he like <laughs> has some blind spots and we should like take him as he is. Yeah, I mean, inviting Azalea Banks into your home, it will always end with some kind of Twitter moment. Right. Like, if you do that, right, if you do that, you get what you get. Like, like how smart could you really be? Well, yeah. She was collaborating with Grimes on a song, right? And she, like, live tweeted being there and then not being there or something? She live tweeted being in his house and... Basically, she was like, oh, all he does is do drugs all day. Like, they're so fucked up. And her being in his home led to his own shareholders subpoenaing both Grimes and Azalea Banks about his business. So, like, clearly that was not a savvy business decision, you know? Not quite. He's just, you know, it's like it's like anything. You have these Bill Gates and Elon Musk figures that help like a certain 
you, we can we can sort of project our own ambitions onto them. Be like, you see, they just did it on their own, but not knowing the extreme privilege Bill Gates even came from, like how early he was interacting with computers before anyone else, or even like Elon Musk, how we always talk about growing up with fucking rubies and shit, loose rubies right. in his pockets. It's <laughs> like it's, we all do. Yeah, like when you start there, when there when there's that much capital around you as a child. You're already starting a few levels up, and so Definitely. your your shitty ideas. You'll be around people who help you mold those very quickly, uh, and you can you can move from there. But yeah, like it's you know it's like they help us feel like you know there's like the new Tony Starks or some shit where it's like this guy's sick, dude. He makes flamethrowers, smokes weed, it's like fucking. He calls divers who are trying to rescue kids pedophiles. Such a hero, man. Yeah. Yeah. There's this weird thing that happened where um, Jeffrey Dahmer like came Uh-oh. into the public eye right after uh, Silence of the Lambs came out, and everybody was obsessed with cannibals. And we sort of like manifested this like real world cannibal into existence. And I think I think that aspect of him was o- over exaggerated. But th- there are these weird times when like really iconic. Um, fictional characters pop up and then we like create our real world version. I, I agree mm. that uh Elon Musk, we just we needed a Tony Stark character. Uh like somebody who could help be the figurehead and uh so like the cool uh person who knows how to do stuff while like tech was kind of taking over our world and becoming cool. Yeah and I think but yeah. it's easy to get to feel like that he's larger than life because when you look at the things that are being achieved, they're not insignificant by any stretch of the imagination. So it's not like a total fucking smoke and mirror show. And I don't mean to say that anyone who's like wowed by him is wrong. I think you can understand. Sure. Those things are cool, but his takes on everything else. I can't do. Tell me about ugly ass trucks and like electric cars. Fuck aside from that, bro. I don't care about your music taste. Cause you can't rap. <laughs> you look all dusty. I don't, there's nothing about you else I need to know outside of your expertise. So let's leave it there, sir. That's exactly how I feel. I think that we, I think you're totally right that we need these larger than life figures. And then we assume that because someone is good at something specific, that that means that they're going to be a genius when it comes to everything. And I just think that like, if there's one thing that this pandemic has taught us that is that not everybody has like a useful or helpful take. And just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean you're going to, that that's going to apply to like a, a literal public health emergency. Right. I mean, yeah, I guess at the end of the day too, it's just your ego, right? Like you feel compelled to scream shit that you don't scream about shit you don't know about because your ego cannot help itself. That's why he's like, this is fascism. Like dude, shut the fuck up and nobody, I get it. You have a captive audience on a shareholder call or whatever, but like, leave it alone. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is that like, you know, people being smarter than other people is like maybe a degree level of like, you know, they're 20%, 30% smarter, but because of the society that we live in, they're like a million times richer and more mm-hmm. powerful. And therefore it just like, I think that also gets reflected in there into just like how we judge them and we just assume, well, they must be a million times smarter and there's just no such thing. Totally. Um, Wait, what did you say that mix was between knowledge mm-hmm. and skill? I was say, I was just saying that like, we, you know, a, a person who's smarter than other people might be like 20, 30 percent smarter. Mm-hmm. But right. they're because like these people are like millions of times richer than other people and more powerful, like they're right. able to. I, I think that gets like projected onto how we view these people, and it's just right. Not well, accurate. and I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty well documented, right? Because it's ten percent luck, twenty percent skill, fifteen percent concentrated power of will, five percent pleasure, fifty percent pain, and a hundred percent reason to remember the name. Okay, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what is that from? That Fort Minor song. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Mike Shinoda fucking from <laughs> I'm sorry bro Lincoln Park has me fucked up uh-huh. uh, alright let's uh, take a quick break to ponder that that reality and we'll be right back uh-huh. 
And we're back. Uh, and there's a article by a guy who used to be the CEO of Permanente. Uh, you know, so he has some experience in overall like public health policy. Um, super but he's like one of those. Hosnia. He's like one of those good Kaiser Foundation heads where afterwards he wrote books about like, or I don't know. I mean, based on the titles of his books, he's like, yeah, why the healthcare system isn't really working for you? Yeah. You know, he's yeah, not exactly. one of those dudes out here like, oh, I mean, guys, we provide A1 service to every single human being <laughs> right. in the United States. Yeah, exactly. So he recognizes the system is fucked. And uh, he also just, he wrote this article that I thought underlined like three ways that we're not thinking about the process of reopening in the most accurate way. One of the things he points out is that Whenever we stop sheltering in place, and we we will have to stop, uh, the virus will come back and people will get sick. Um, like that, the idea is we aren't quarantining and assume, like hoping the virus will go away while we're quarantining. We're quarantining to give hospitals time to make room for us when we get sick, and you know prepare doctors so we don't make doctors sick. But he's like, this isn't like fatalistic or pessimistic. This is just a biological fact that like once people stop social distancing, uh, you know, people the will see the numbers go back up again. Right. Well, I think uh, some people are actually connecting like their own personal boredom with like, yeah, dude, I'm so bored. So this coronavirus is probably fucked right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he he was also just talking about how, um, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of all ties back to that. But like the idea of I I had assumed that we could still like, you know, once we started testing and people knew like whether uh, they had it or not, we could like quarantine and sort of it would go away. And he said that that ship sailed back in february like it's too widespread <laughs> to do the like contact tracing that they did right. in china uh so in order to reopen the country you just need to go location by location and look at stuff like whether the hospitals have space for all the people who are going to get sick when you reopen um and then just like put things in place policies in place in those locations uh and have testing so that you know, you have people have some idea of whether they have have the uh, virus or not, and then he just uh, emphasized the importance of are not. Uh, I, I've been seeing more and more headlines about the fact that like the numbers that we're paying attention to, which is like number of people who have it and the number of people who have died, are not like that. First of all, they're somewhat arbitrary because we're undercounting the number of people who died and vastly undercounting the number of people who have it because of how bad the testing is. Uh, but it's also just kind of a confusing number. And the, the best way to look at it is something called R not, which is, uh, the rate, like basically, um, if, if you have, if a disease has an R not, it's written like R and then a little like zero below. Um, not like, N-A-U-G-H-T. Yeah. And if if it has a R not of one, that means for every one person who gets sick, they will pass the disease on to one other person. So the rate will be flat. And so anything over one, and you're going to see the curve bending upwards, and anything underward, uh, under one, you're going to see the curve bending downwards. And so he's just saying, like, that is the most important number to pay attention to. Uh, the founders of Instagram created a website called RT Live, uh, which is rate of transmission. Um, and they have it broken out by state. And it's basically, you know, we've made progress through social distancing, through having like 90% of the country shut down. Uh, and so all of these are not, uh, numbers are going from like well over one to under one, uh, over the course of the past month, but you know, they'll go right back up once we stop social distancing. So, um, 
that's kind of the number to be paying attention to because it also takes into into account like population size and um it's just a it, it was interesting it, it it's like a an article a short article but it's definitely going to change the way that i uh am looking at and thinking about the the overall issue yeah something that you said that i really want to amplify and like plus one it's the idea that we really don't, because of how the testing is run, we really don't know and probably won't know the actual numbers of who got it, who died from it. That's one of my biggest concerns is that after this is all over, we won't even ever get a clear picture of what we were dealing with. And I just, I hate the idea that this history that we're living through is just going to be erased and not preserved. And we won't even have an accurate count of what's happening. That's like something that I guess I associate that more with a bygone history. You know, in 2020, I would think that we would have, we would be able to preserve an accurate count of what we, what we all recently lived through and coming to realize that that's not the case is, is really not just scary, but sort of, I don't know, like psychically disorienting in a kind yeah. of way. Well, I think also too, we could put the effort into it and endeavor to try and accurately determine what the true cost was uh, by, you know, speaking to health experts, like people in other countries have said, you know, how much they suspect actually what other deaths they would probably as doctors attribute to this because of lack of care and things like that. But just knowing that the tactics that have been being taken here of just being like, well, let's not test our initially. We just didn't want to test because we didn't want to get an embarrassing number on the test. So right. let's not test. So, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, having to know that we're also fighting that, like, you know, the suppression of that knowledge uh, is really also totally fucked up and frightening yeah absolutely i mean with puerto rico and hurricane maria the way that they like eventually figured out was just like looking at the overall rate of uh deaths like at that time normally and then comparing that to overall rate of deaths like during the time after uh the hurricane and i feel like that's probably what we'll end up having to resort to here Although there are uh, orders in place in a lot of places in America that are like preserve the body or at least a tissue sample so that we can test everything like once the crisis is over, just so we have a better idea. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of chaos and a lot of political forces at work, which is a bummer. I was just kind of looking or just thinking about just with Puerto Rico and the death toll, like how there were so many competing numbers uh, and you know, I, I'm not sure that the official version, you know, that's the thing. It's like, we can compare that and say, that's probably what happened. But the version that the government is going to acknowledge is like, eh, no, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, I, th that's, that's where I think the real hard bit of coming out of this is going to happen where we have to really look in the eye, like all the people we've let down mm -hmm. and how quickly some people will are be, will be willing to ignore that like our own neighbors and rather would move on to the comfort of a world where, you know, such widespread pain didn't exist. But, you know, I'm, I'm hope, hopefully people can confront that a bit more coming out of this, because I think that's the only positive thing we can take out of this is try and not, you know, replicate this kind of disregard for our neighbors that got us to this place and to begin with. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think for me, as soon as I heard that, the that like, and this is was not surprising to me. As soon as I heard that COVID was ravaging black and brown communities, mm -hmm. I knew that was going to change the public perception of the virus. I knew it. I knew it immediately. Yeah. And it's just, I think even, I mean, this, it, I, I, it pain, it, I take no joy in saying this, and it pains me to say, I think a lot of people, even progressive people, even people that I like, respect, I think there is something about black and brown death, black and brown pain that like doesn't hit the same way for them. And I think that like, it's no surprise that all of these reopen Michigan, reopen this, reopen that, all of these rallies we saw after it, it became clear which communities were at, at the most yeah. at risk for mm -hmm. this. I think that's not, a, not an accident. You know, I think that like, yeah. we have to sort of, I think that this will hopefully, like you were saying, Miles, we will have to, Look at some hard truths. Look at some stuff we don't want to look at about ourselves, about how we treat our neighbors, about how we view them, if we view them the same way as we view ourselves. Like, yeah. I, I think we're really going to have to do a lot of looking within 
to yeah. at the end of all this. I hope you do. And you know, and I challenge people to look within yourself to think of what your response is to hearing things like that, and not to judge yourself. But you know, we we're a product of this entire system that we've been you know raised in as Americans. So look at that for a second. At least give yourself the moment to say, oh, maybe I. I'm looking at that not as humanely as I could. I might not be looking that in this with the same amount of compassion as I might if it were someone who looked exactly like me, came from the exact place yeah. I did. It's hard. It is fucking hard. You don't develop those kinds of skills overnight. And I understand. I don't. You know, I'm a bit pessimistic. I don't count. I don't count on most people coming out of this learning those lessons. But I'm hoping that people, because there is this time of like, you know, relative slowness uh in terms of like the the pace of life that you can for a moment take stock and understand that we are living in like a system that is breaking down um and it's and you, you might just be it's just like looking at a piece of bread that has mold on it you just not at the moldy part yet but the motherfucker is molding so yeah. you can be do the hard bit and recognize that maybe your piece of bread is not has not molded over yet but it's coming and we need to really look out for the parts that are moldy. Okay, moldy bread metaphor over. Uh, I mean, I just want to, I, I agree so much. I want to share something. I think if I can have like a vulnerable moment, you know, it isn't easy to acknowledge your blind spots and your privileges and all of this. Ooh. I had a moment earlier in the week where, you know, I, so I'm a huge Beyonce fan. I love Beyonce in the beehive, in the beehive all of that. Uh, Beyonce's mother, Tina Knowles, shared an image on Instagram of a family friend who unfortunately passed away from coronavirus. And she shared a picture of how Beyonce, when she was a child, was a flower girl at her wedding. This woman, I think, was a, a, a medical professional or a first responder or a nurse. And, you know, I was I, I shared that and I was like, oh, like thinking of the Knowles family, you know, this is so sad. And someone was like, why are you thinking of the Knowles family? Why are you not thinking about the this like woman who was a nurse who was at the front lines of this pandemic? Shouldn't shouldn't she shouldn't she be the one that you're keeping in your thoughts, not necessarily Beyonce and her family? And I was like, you know what? You're right. Like, what is? And I had to really take a beat and be like, what is it in me that when I heard this news, my first thought was like, oh, poor Beyonce, poor Knowles family, and not like, wow, this woman was a nurse. Her like she died. She lost her life fighting this pandemic. And I immediately just like, and it, it, I had to really sit with that. It was uncomfortable. I had to really sit with like, well, is it the fact that Beyonce is a celebrity and that I really like her, you know, and that I, fe I feel like I know her in like right. heavy quotes, you know, um, I had to really do some sitting with that and it wasn't fun and it wasn't comfortable, but I, I really had to, I, I should be able to be better than that. And I have to, interrogate why I wasn't in that moment, you know? And so I think that it's, a, this is a, I think you're right. This is a moment for all of us to be doing that kind of thinking. And it's not easy, you know? We're all products of this. No. All right. Let's talk about uh, the president and how he's feeling right now because the, the stress might be getting to him. He apparently recently just berated his uh, campaign manager, uh, Brad Parscale, Parscale. Uh, doesn't matter. Was, no, you don't. He doesn't deserve the respect of a proper <laughs> pronunciation of his name. But he went. Uh, he was the digital guy on the first campaign, and now he's the full-on campaign manager. Yeah, you know, you don't want that job. <laughs> it seems like it seems like the president now, now that some bad numbers are coming out following you know his discussion of how we should be injecting bleach. Uh, our doctors. Well, well, I didn't say. I'm just saying that it could be. It could. You could have a function of disinfecting. That was the intent. I right. never said that. Okay, and if I was, I was joking. But yeah, I think <laughs> it's <laughs> tough. Injecting has, sunlight. Yeah, exactly. It's just oh man, let me get a fucking let me get a jumbo of some sunlight real quick. Mm. <laughs> Got red tops of sunlight. So Brad Parscale, he really tried. Uh, it seemed like you know it was clear to most people what the the campaign roadmap was just fucking ring the bell of the economy and like we've never don't risk it now don't risk it now come on home to donald trump where we don't give a fuck about anybody but we'll pretend for until november so after you know the pandemic hit it basically just upended everything and because these people are so inelegant in their thinking and that is such a nice way of saying it uh, they are really scrambling to figure out what the fuck to do. So I think one of the first things um, was that, you know, 
people were saying, okay, maybe do these, get in front of these people or whatever, get your name out there because you can't do rallies anymore because that's what he loves. And then the shit started going south in the rallies because these weren't like leaks that were happening. He was just doing this shit in full view of the public with cameras rolling. And naturally, the numbers started tanking. So at, Trump got so pissed, he threatened to sue Parscale, Parscale uh, because the numbers were so bad. Now, just he threatened to sue his campaign manager yes, because he was like, "What the fuck are these poll numbers? I should sue you for <laughs> so not messy. doing your job." Yo, that is amazing. So again, this is a man who's completely incapable of even understanding what his role is in reality and existing <laughs> uh, as another life form. And how other people may view you as this existing life form. So another interesting thing in some of these articles say that a few days before the Lysol, great Lysol uh, PowerPoint presentation he did, uh, he was confronted with like really bad poll numbers, not just from Parscale, but from uh, uh, Mitt Romney's niece, uh, Rana, what's her other, anyway, she's the chair of the RNC. Um, And these numbers were basically saying Joe Biden will fucking smoke you in November because these performances are so fucking bad. And they were begging him. They said, look, if you can't stop doing the briefings, like our suggestion is the reason these numbers are bad is because of these fucked up briefings. Now we can dial them back. Or if you got to be out there, just don't answer any questions. <laughs> That's something they suggested to him. Just damn. Yeah. Like so, being yeah. quiet would actually be better. Like, you know what you could do to improve your numbers? Just stop talking. Yeah. I mean, that's what they're that's what they're saying, but they have to say it in think weird ass ways of like, you can do them, but just don't answer questions. That's not gonna <laughs> he's not gonna understand what you mean. He just means, yeah, fine, okay, I'll just say what the fuck I want then up there. You know, which is essentially what is going on. So it's it's really, really um, I think indicative of the fact that he really is failing to understand. We've seen time and again, he's failing to understand just the essential science around this pandemic. He's failing to understand his own role as a leader. And even in a, like a fucking broader sense, like an existential fucking level, this man is, does not even understand how his existence is affecting what the news is about himself, the president of the United States and will sue his campaign manager. Mm. it's so it's so like if it wasn't something that we were living through it would almost be funny right like if it wasn't something that we had to like deal with it's so out there that it would almost be humorous to to have a president that is this not just this bad at leading but this bad at at like understanding how people see him you know what i mean like yeah if someone told me you're making things worse by just talking so just shut up that really uh-uh. would tell me a lot. Like- no, nah, you're a hater. You're a hater. You're a hater. Because that's the other thing, too. They say he famously always does this. If polls are bad or if data is bad, he doesn't believe it. He just doesn't right. believe it. That's just how it works. So no one and a lot of insiders saying, like, the mistake they made was showing him poll numbers that were bad because it's never going to it will. It's never worked. It will never work. All right, guys, let's take one more break and we'll come back with uh, some bullshit. And we're back. And uh, one kind of topic of conversation that I've seen many different uh, kind of opposing takes on is is horniness during the core corniness. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what one uh, piece of evidence we had been kind of looking at in the past was a report that Chinese drugstores were completely out of condoms, and that that was like their version of toilet paper. But people are now saying that that might have had more to do with the supply chain than it does with how much sex everybody was having. Well, that and like people just, I think maybe projecting what they thought their, you know, they thought it was gonna be COVID coitus fest 2020, you know? And it was like, I better get 9,000 condoms (laughs) because trust me, I haven't examined the existential damage that's being done by this, but one thing I know, I'm in a house with someone else that I have consensual sex with. Oh, that's what's happening. Cut to worldwide global depressive states from people who are not horny um, (laughs) and are just sort of like, because at first, 
I, so, you know, we were, I thought, and most of us thought logically, we're like, yeah, probably. Yeah, people probably be having more sex. They're indoors. But yeah, condom sales are just way down, actually, like in Europe and in the United States. And that actually makes more sense when we now that we are living in this reality. Like, no one's moving around freely uh, to like socialize or date like they used to. Um, and actually, uh, it seems like all this confusion and chaos around us and uncertainty makes us less horny. Mm, I yeah. don't. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I think it's maybe ramped up other parts of our like uh, libidos in like bizarre ways, maybe other than like <laughs> pure physical needs where you're like, you know, admiring the cactus, the cacti in your yard. But, you know, you're like know. rubbing the Mrs. Butterworth bottle. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, she's kind of thick. <laughs> they're like, I have her under my pillow so no one sees. I'm like, there you go. My midnight lover. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, oh, quarantine horniness it's funny i was i was peeking into tinder because i was just curious like what's tinder like during the quarantine so many tinder profiles i saw were like if you're not willing to break quarantine don't bother swiping like i do think people are still out there like getting it in in the quarantine oh they are Uh, i mean i know single friends who are like like working on like you know you thought they were working on like another negotiation with like cuba or something like top level (laughs) high level diplomatic (laughs) negotiations in terms of like their own contact tracing, what time windows have looked like since they had interacted with other people and what context that was, if they are then willing to then just be... It's weird. It's like forcing some people to be like exclusive though too because they're like, mm. look, if we do this, fuck it. Like, I'll, you'll be the only person whose house I go to. Like, I'm not <laughs> seeing anybody else and they're like, it's it's like a weird, you know, a sub, sub-exclusivity, subliminally yeah. getting it in there. Yeah. I've never felt more for people who have like secret families, people who are like creeping on the side. It's got to be tough out there for them. I've never felt for <laughs> oh, them more. secret families. They're, secret families. Someone the secret is, family yeah. community. Oh, those They're, poor oh, guys. It's in tad. You know how many children think their father is dead? <laughs> oh my God. You know how many because of this? Because the, sec- yeah. the, the man cannot dip out to see the secret family anymore. They will have to say <laughs> that he's dead. I don't like, know. What else are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you do or else you say, that's, I don't know. Is it easier to say, look, your dad's a scumbag and like, he's got this other family. We're like, you know, I don't know. Or you have a secret mother. Uh, look, it's all secret family. Uh, Twitter, let us know. What's how, how are you? How are you handling this? <laughs> Very curious. All three. I, I don't want to like tell tales out of school. All three of us are quarantining with a, like a partner. No. I am. Mm-hmm. You two mm-hmm. both are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I I think it's different when you're in a like long term, like committed thing. You know, it's like I think a lot of my friends who I see on Instagram, like making sourdough starter kids, I know they wouldn't be doing that if they had somebody in their house they could have sex with. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, that was like that was funny because that was like a reductress tweet last week or something. It right. Like, yes, yes, yeah. right? Like it's like, yeah, are you bon appetit focaccia recipe levels of horny or do you live someone you, you have consensual sex with? <laughs> right. I think yeah, I really think that's true. <laughs> but yeah, the other Absolutely. thing though, back to the supply chain though, Jack, is the thing that, you know. The global condom shortage is probably going to be a reality because in Malaysia, there are strict lockdown rules and they are one of the top rubber producers and major sources of condoms. Um, So it's like, I think one of this one company, Carex, they make one in five condoms. Uh, They're saying like they've had to close three of their factories and they're probably doing 200 million fewer condoms than normal uh, during this period. So they're saying, hey, look, if you don't need them, maybe save them because that's, I mean, contraception is very important in other parts of the world where like they don't have the same access to medical care. So that's an, actually right. a, a sort of darker dimension to all of that to say like they're kind of being like, okay, maybe we also need to be really mindful of this because of now, not just the, it's not the lack of horniness, it's because we can't work work the rubber factories. Right, right. And you do call them rubbers. You're always calling them rubbers. I'm always calling them rubbers. I think that's what <laughs> our dad's called them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think I've ever called it a con- I don't think I've called it. What have I ever called it? I think condom. I don't think I've ever used Connie? a fucking... A Connie? A Jimmy, ha- a Jimmy hat? <laughs> that's, that's yeah, what, uh, Jimmy's. Ali G calls them. Yeah, Jimmy's was like a thing for a month in the early 90s, but I feel like... 
they well jimmy cap was definitely 90s rap gave us jimmy yeah. caps but sex packets, but then at that time i was around tried to make that a thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, hey, girl, uh, I need to go to the store to get one of those Lisa Left Eye Lopez eye patches real quick. <laughs> yes, honestly, like kudos to Lisa Left Eye Lopez for like rocking the condom over her eye and like yeah. teaching us all about like, you know, safe sex, like talking I, about it. Honestly, my my uncle used to be the director of Soul Train or like the AD on Soul Train. And I would go as a kid, like whenever there were artists that I always wanted to see. And I saw TLC in that era. And I remember that was another uncomfortable conversation my dad had to have with me because she had, this was the condom eye patch phase of uh, Lisa Left Eye Lopez. And he just said it, like, he just was very dismissive of what it was about. Uh, but later on, at, after the uh, 1991 AIDS walk, uh, he told me what a condom was. Uh, just a personal, oh. just, just to let you in on my uh, mental history of <laughs> condom knowledge. <laughs> I'm glad you. I'm glad you figured it out eventually. Yeah, well, I took a handful because uh, they were free at the AIDS walk, and my dad like saw what I had, you know, because like at those yeah. things, there's like swag bags. He's like, "What'd you get?" And I'm like, "I'm all these condoms." He's like, "What the fuck are you doing with these?" I'm like, "I don't know. They're free." I'm and you're six. You grab whatever's free, uh, yeah. but you know, and you still got them to this day, right? Still got still- them to this day. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, speaking of things to do instead of have sex. Uh, it's time to choose our rewatch movie for the weekend. Uh, yeah. I put together a list of movies that are available on Netflix. I just kind of went through the top Metacritic ones because mm-hmm. uh, they, they allow you to sort by what's on Netflix, what's on Prime. Snowpiercer is on Netflix. That's mm-hmm. a, I feel like a, that might be a decent pick. It's a little got a little post-apocalyptic ism in there yeah uh, and there's also a i TV mean and bong joon is just so hot right now bong, bong joon is so hot so hot right now yeah uh, uh so that's kind of at the top of my list we also have marvel's uh the avengers just near the top because uh again apocalyptic and uh everybody's seen it i so will say this like- on the, another thing on your list they have bolded and underwritten underlined uh, is her, which I've only seen the first twenty minutes of. Oh, I okay. love that movie. It's funny. But why did you only see the first twenty minutes? What happened? Because I grew up in a house like screeners all the time, so a lot of movies were like watched on DVD. So I never had like I sometimes won't respect the sanctity of the running time of the film, and I'll start watching something and be like, "What? Oh, come outside. You want to smoke a blunt?" And then I pause it, and then I forget what I'm doing, and then I haven't watched her. Um. So, yeah, but I want to because I, it, people always have thoughts about it, but I don't know if it's because it's good or whatever, but hey. I think yeah. it's good. It's uh, got the disembodied voice of Scarlett Johansson, so if that's your thing, you might give it a shot. Oh, yes, and you know how I love an actress of color. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jack, you do the Mrs. We've Butterworth heard. bottle and then Scarlett Johansson's voice. I think, I think we picked our movie. If it's got to be... T- <laughs> I'd hate to pit two uh, Asian people against each other. I know. You know, she's going to be playing Angela Davis in an upcoming movie. I heard. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, shit. All right. I let's know. do her. We'll, we'll rewatch her. Let's that do sounds, her. Yeah. That I, like a plan. I mean, at least I, I, I know I'll bring fresh. I, it's something I've not seen, so I may have fresher eyes. Fresh eyes. Yeah. yeah. Fresh eyes realize fresh eyes. <laughs> Okay, and then just in terms of, uh, I figured there were probably quite a few documentaries coming our way about COVID-19, and yeah, they, it turns out there are 20 in the works right now, somehow. In, right now, like in major, like not just like, oh, we, we, we just spoke to 20 people who were fucking around with a COVID documentary, like no, like Quibi, fucking Hulu, people are like putting documentaries together. But I don't know. Look, I understand you. Sh- this this moment should be documented. I'm not talking. Right. I don't say that's not a worthy premise. But some of these platforms seem to be wanting to take them to market like relatively quickly to capitalize on this. And I don't know. I can't imagine fucking anybody like wanting to harm themselves more by getting more like entrenched in this story. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm trying to imagine what they would look like, and I'm picturing like the COVID nineteen commercials with all the like stock footage because 
Like you can't really go out and ma- do physical productions. I think so. well, they are. I think maybe these people are embedding themselves with them, so they're Got like, it. "I'm not going anywhere." But you know, they're all different. Like some are talking about, like I get it. Like some projects focus on the food industry or like other nonprofit organizations, and I think those are pro- honestly those stories are going to be harrowing and should 100 percent be entered into the public record and consciousness for people to understand just what the actual true toll is of this kind of thing. But it's just weird because part of these articles are talking about how like Quibi is really trying to get theirs out. It's like, Quibi, come on now. Nobody asked you. <laughs> Do we need or, this? You're already, yeah, you're already hurting from stealing people's ideas on other shows. Yeah. Ooh. By the way, ABC News does a pretty good roundup of everything happening in COVID-19 and they are the number one TV show every day basically on a all cable and network news people are really tuning into abc and also david muir the uh, anchor a fellow doesn't know what to do with his hands king so uh i see huh. him uh, is that something a, you picked up at abc news because you famously also worked at abc News. i did correct? work at abc news when i was in my early 20s and maybe maybe it was all just uh <laughs> yeah it's all related it's the building man yeah uh, Bridget, it's been so wonderful having you as always. Um, where can people find you and follow you? You can find me on Twitter at Bridget Marie. You can find me on Instagram at Bridget Marie in DC. And you can look out for my new iHeartMedia podcast coming out on July 7th called There Are No Girls on the Internet. Hey. So hit me up at any of those places and I would love to keep talking. Uh, and is there a tweet or some other work of social media you've been enjoying? Yes. Can I, I actually have two tweets, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. So the first tweet that I found that I loved is by Dave underscore Horwitz. Uh, the postal service does not exist to turn a profit. It exists to remind us that the freckles in our eyes are mere images. And when we kiss, they're perfectly aligned. Remember that song? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought that was so clever. I, that was so, I was going to sing uh, it, but, you know. Um, and then another tweet um, it was one of those tweets going around where you're meant to quote tweet it with your response. And it said, you know, do you have a teacher that impacted you and stuck with you and changed your life? And I was really thrilled to see that I got a shout out. Uh, a former student Whoa. of mine from when I taught at Howard University, she quote tweeted that and said, yes, she gave me a B and ruined my 4.0 and tagged me. So shout Damn. out to my former student, Phoenix. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for calling me out for giving you a B like nine years ago. There you go. <laughs> hey, hey, you you respect a age long beef though. I do. We're coming full circle. I respect. Yeah, I respect I, a long held beef. You prefer you, you love a nice dry aged beef. <laughs> it's true. Uh, Miles, where can people find you? And what's a tweet you've been enjoying? Okay, I like so many tweets. One thing I just do want to shout out is if you haven't, if you like the Fresh Prince. Uh, there's there's a video that someone just extracted the part where the entire cast is looking at a montage of James Avery, a.k.a. Uncle Phil, um, and it will make you cry, okay? If you needed to cry even harder. Um, a few tweets that I like. Oh, man, this is... I can't... I, I just can't pick just one. Um, this is from at okay Claire. She just said, fuck, I just sexted someone realistically, and it's a screen grab of her text thread. It says, the person on the other side says, want to sext? She says, okay. Okay, you start. I touch your penis with my hand while we kiss. After a little bit, I let my hand go limp because my wrist is tired. I start worrying about carpal tunnel. I will not come. What? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another one. This is from uh, at ZZAC22. How old were you when the Guitar Hero crowd booed at you for trying your best? (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Uh, another one is from, uh, this is from, uh, Jermaine Lussier. It says, here's a real thing. I just found in my parents' house that I must have got in the junket swag bag. And even then been so fascinated. I kept it. Now he's talking about press junkets that happen for like films and things like that. And this promotional item, uh, is going to shock you to your core. When I show it to you, it is a soul patch from the movie Swordfish, and it is a uh. Swordfish Soul Patch. What <laughs> the fuck? So you can't what the play fuck? John Travolta's so character 
That can't be real, man. That cannot be real. It looks like some some really boneheaded idea that someone would have. Uh, Lastly, okay. When you said soul patch, I immediately was like, it can't be swordfish because John Travolta's soul patch in that movie is one of the all-time bad works of facial hair. The Travolta (laughs) swordfish patch. And then finally, this is from Dave Mizzoni, uh, who says, offering... Britney burns down her gym as today's disassociation portal. I don't know if you've seen this clip where Britney Spears talks about how her gym burned down, but again, a fantastic way to describe it, a disassociation portal. Hi guys, I'm in my gym right now. I haven't been in here for like six months because I burnt my gym down, unfortunately. Um, I had two candles and yeah, one thing led to another and I burned it down. So... <laughs> one thing led to another. One thing led to another and yeah, and, I burned um, it down. Yeah. It, it seemed like she was also like explaining it to a parent nervously, like, you know, and I right. burned it down. I don't know, mom, like I had the candles there and like one thing led to another and, you know, I burned it down. Sorry. Uh, I hope nothing actually tragic happened there, but uh, all praise be to Comrade Brittany. Uh, thank you. Those are my tweets for today. All right. Uh, some tweets I've been enjoying... Uh, Abril uh, at Sadical tweeted one of the prettiest colors to exist is that of the Baja Blast from Taco Bell mm. uh, and that is true um, and Karen <laughs> Kilgariff tweeted uh, the tower of things I have stacked under my laptop to get a decent zoom angle is borderline caps for sale uh, I don't know if you guys know that book but that cracked me up uh. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, footnotes, where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as the song we ride out on. Miles, what are we riding out on today? This is a remix of an artist named Mia Doi Todd, who's a great songwriter, uh, and her mother is actually an accomplished Japanese-American judge, so shout out to her mother. Uh, but this is actually a remix by Flying Lotus of her song called My Room is White, um, and it's really, really dope uh, remix uh, of a great song, and her vocals are great, but you know, Flylo had to do it to him. Shout out to another San Fernando Valley great. Oh, love Flying Lotus. All right. Well, The Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That is going to do it for this morning. We'll be back this afternoon to tell you what's trending. Uh, hope you guys are well. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you.